Welcome to another episode of the Awareness Advantage Podcast, where leaders who are good at getting stuff done become great leaders to influence and inspire people. I'm your U.S. co-host and best-selling author, Kevin McCarthy, joined by my good friend, Canadian business partner, and best-selling author, Licky Labji. If you have not yet done so, click subscribe so you never miss an episode. And now, the Awareness Advantage Podcast. We're going to be talking about the emotions wheel. So right now we're talking about uh, how you're feeling. And then we use the emotions wheel to really pinpoint understanding our true emotions. If you're listening to the podcast, you can go to our website and download the emotions wheel in our blog at blindspots.com. Oh, there you go. Look at Cindy. She's got a fit. I like that, Cindy. That's that's a trick I've used for a long, long time. She's just having it. I was working at it this morning. Look, look what else. I have your emotions journal out as well. Ah, focus, but yeah. <laughs> love it, love it, love it, love it. As you look at this emotions wheel, now maybe in the chat window, type in what you're feeling. Because I know some of you are really shy and you don't want to speak up in this really awkward room that nobody knows each other at all. And we're all <laughs> still really shy, but that's okay. I'll let you get off. And for now, at least till 8.15, then I'll pick on you. But for now, let's go ahead and just put in the chat window, how are you actually feeling? Actually, I had a question about the wheel. So if I go happy and I do proud, and then it goes to strong and confident, is the idea that it aligns? Or are you saying it just falls within the happiness, but I could be proud and peaceful? The idea is, first of all, this is not an exhaustive list, right, of emotions. I think there's probably more than 400 words that we have applied to emotions, but this is a, a good start, right? Um, and so, yeah, to answer your question, they all sort of become intensity levels or related in some way, depending on uh, which track you're going down. So you can say, well, I'm feeling really uh, joyful. And then you, you realize, well, that's in the happy category. Or you can just say, I'm feeling happy. Well, let me identify that to a, you know, a, a greater degree. What, what am I feeling? Well, I'm feeling joyful. That's what it is. Or feeling joy in this case. So yes, uh, if you're feeling proud, you might, or if you're feeling strong and confident, you might also be feeling proud and certainly hopefully happy. So the answer Vera in short is yes. And it all works. <laughs> <Good question. laughs> yeah. I mean, that's kind of what I figured. It's not an exact science. It's really kind of to, I try to identify something. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. And uh, some of you have heard the story from me this week, but a couple of weeks ago, I did, I did a bit of a road trip. And for the first two hours, my stomach was in a bit of a knot. I couldn't understand why or what was going on. I just, you know, I had that knot in your stomach sometimes, not understanding what, what's going on. And something said, so somebody said something and you held on to it or whatever it was. I had a couple of conversations in the morning. I didn't know what it was. I'm driving around. I can't stand this. I can't stand not knowing what this knot's about. So I pull over, I pull up the emotions wheel, I'm going looking for it, looking for it, looking for it. Ah, that's what my emotion is. And that's why I'm feeling this way. And then it related back to the conversation I had that morning and said, okay, this makes a lot more sense. As soon as I did that, that knot went away. I was able to identify it and deal with it. But until then, I was subconsciously projecting that feeling in every conversation, every message I was doing while I was out on the road. I called up my daughter and I had a 
different conversation with her and I was projecting different things to her. So I guess the question I have for you right now is, whatever you're feeling right now, whatever it is, good, bad, ugly, whatever it is, are you aware and is it a true statement to say that you're projecting that emotion subconsciously? Probably. <laughs> yeah. And what does that do for you if you realize that? What's that doing for the person that you're in front of when you're projecting an emotion that you don't even know you're projecting? It depends what mode they are in. And so maybe because I'm in this happy, powerful mood, I'm like full steam ahead, but I'm talking to Cindy and Cindy's anxious. And so if I don't stop and pick up on her moods, we may have an issue. Yeah, for sure. You know, that's great. You know, you want to be contagious when you're happy. Do you want to be contagious when you're angry? Depends on who you're angry with. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I think that applies to teenagers. I've had that with my son where, um, you know, we were talking and he just was really agitated and, and it just felt like aggressive, angry energy. And I was like, I can't talk to you. you have, you're just, all I feel is angry energy. And he just looked at me and he threw up his hands at me and he's like, I don't even know how to answer that. Like, I'm not angry. I'm not angry. And I'm like, but you're yelling at me. This was like stomped away. But he was really upset because he's like, I didn't even say anything. You're just, you're responding to my energy. Like, how do I even do that? So I think it it is true, but it it's an interesting awareness. <laughs> now you think about, then we hold on to, some limiting beliefs that we have, right? Whatever that looks like. Uh, it could be, uh, let's say, scarcity. And if you have a scarcity mindset, how is that projected in your conversations? And this has really come to terms with me for the last couple of weeks. I've, I've been dealing with a couple of different things, and all of a sudden, the subconscious mind is starting to speak for me loudly and not even realizing that. And the other party is like, they're, they're hearing it loud and clear. And I have no idea what I'm saying because it's subconscious. And that's the, that's the conversation here is that projection of our emotions and our limiting beliefs that are subconscious, that are just, you just don't even know you're doing it. How do you get aware of those? And this is a question. This is more coaching for me. How do you get aware of those subconscious emotions that are occurring? I think for me, it's going back to those same questions that we ask on our limiting beliefs. Like, is it true? you know, is this helpful? You know, so when I, which is what I had to do earlier today, it's like, where is this anxiety coming from? You know, and I just, I haven't pinpointed it yet, but it's like, I can't pinpoint it. So it must not exist. So I need to let it go. <laughs> but um, I, I think it's just being conscious. It's, it, which I think is a lot of what you guys are talking about with blind spots. It's just acknowledging where we're at with something and questioning it. For me, it's, that's what I have to do is I have to question why I'm thinking this way or if it's based on fact or not. Good, Cindy. Starts right out with that, why am I feeling like this? What is going on? And then uh, how do you identify those feelings? Lucky's question. Yesterday, I uh, I went in for a, a calcium heart scan, a CT scan. Not because I have any issues. I'm in really great health, but my daughter called me up last month and she was panicked and she's like, dad, I, two of my best friends both lost their dads to heart attack suddenly. And would you please get a CT heart scan? Just find, you know, let, let us know that you're okay. And I'm like, oh, sure, I'll do that. But then, uh, and I, I wear an eye watch, so I'm 
monitoring my heartbeat, you know, regularly. And I, and, uh, and I, so I had this thought as I'm heading to the doctor yesterday I'm, or the, uh, the Simon med. And I was like, I wonder if I'm going to be anxious because I am claustrophobic and I'm thinking I'm in, in my mind, I'm thinking they're going to put me in one of them tubes. And I was like, ah, you might as well just shoot me in the head now. So it's, I'm going to, I'm going to claw my way out. <laughs> and, uh, so I was kind of monitoring the heart rate and even the thoughts of that were starting to elevate my heart rate, right? So my resting heart rate's around 60 and I was seeing, even in the waiting room, seeing 79, 82, 85, you know, and I'm just like, ah. And, and then the kicker is that you really have to keep your heart rate around 60 in order to have a really good scan. So they usually give you medication for that. And my doctor told if spaced out and didn't give me the meds. So I'm just like, okay, we'll see how this goes. But, you know, once I got in there and realized it was just a donut and it was three, two and a half, three feet wide, so, or, you know, in depth, I, was, I wasn't going to be submerged into this capsule. Everything was fine. I just laid there and I watched my heart rate go down to 60, 62 and so forth. But my point in that story is that anxiety or emotions, you know, also demonstrates itself in different physiological aspects, right? What, you know, what, what do you notice when you have these different emotions. Can you, can you pinpoint heart rate, sweat, flush, you know, what are some of the signs for you? If you are in leadership at any level from frontline manager to chief executive, Licky and I would like to invite you to join the conversations in our live virtual studio audience every Thursday or any Thursday that you are available from 8 a.m. to 9 a.m. Pacific time. For more information, please visit us at blindspots.vip forward slash audience. That's blindspots.vip forward slash audience. Now, back to the program. I had something happen to me the other day, which was a, was a surprise. So when my youngest one was little, she almost died from anaphylactic shock from uh, fire ants, right? So... Mm. She's fine, you know, she lives with an EpiPen, whatnot. So, and then I had a, a friend over and his son starts talking about ants. And he's like, oh, dad, you know, the ants that I found, they were actually imported fire ants. And I had just shut down, like literally my stomach turned. And it's like, I, I gotta go. I just need a moment. And so I went to the house and then I just started crying out of nowhere, right? And it's like, I have no idea where this came from because my daughter is 20-something now and we talked about fire ants and dying and a flactic shock, yeah, and a whole bit. Never did anything. But this instant just turned me upside down and I have no idea why this instance was so specific. But it was definitely, yeah, it was definitely all physical. Wow. Yeah. Thanks for sharing, Vera. That's why I'm uh, living in Colorado, no bugs. I would have a question for you or have a question for you is if you can think back to that moment, like you just described, and then look at the emotions wheel, in addition to the physical feeling you had, can you tell us, can you identify what emotion might best describe what you were also feeling? It was uh, definitely in the fear section because it's a fear of losing your kid. Right. Um, okay. But yeah, I mean, and I, I just don't understand why that, why it had such an effect on me. It just came out of nowhere. I'm thinking it had to do because the story was told by a, a kid, like he, he's 12 years old. So I'm thinking maybe 
I saw the vulnerability in him as well. Like I saw how my kid could have died. And then I saw him, you know, and he's 12 and, you know, life is great and love bugs. And it's like, but you could die from it. <laughs> so I'm wondering if I made that connection. Thanks for sharing. I remember last Father's Day. So a year, year ago, the Sunday. It's Father's Day, right? So I get a chance to do what I want to do. And for a couple of years before that, I used to just say, I want to go away. I want to do something. I'd go cycling. And last Father's Day, we were singing in Kelowna. And um, at that time, Sam created this beautiful plan to go out for a nice dinner at the winery right above us at Block One Berry, our favorite winery there. So we go up for dinner, you know, beautiful evening. And we're sitting and talking and all of a sudden the evening's mood changed. We were talking about the kids somewhere and somehow, and the evening's mood shifted right away. And we actually got into a bit of a spat and we walked out and this is like half a kilometer away from our house. So she walked one way, I'll walk the other way. I had the leftover wine in my hand and I went to the beach and I had, I finished a bottle of wine at the beach on Father's Day, and I'm sitting there just like, what the heck is going on here? Like, how did this beautiful evening go from talking to this? And I still didn't understand it. So I, of course, what did I do? I blamed her, right? It's her fault. It's never my fault. It's all, it's all her fault. So I, I'm reflecting and reflecting and reflecting, and I had a session this last couple of weeks ago, and what came up was the guilt that I had of not deserving to be happy to be with my kids that day. So I wanted to just go away because I didn't, ex I didn't deserve to be with my kids on Father's Day. It was my narrative, my story. So as I'm speaking with Sam that day, I am subconsciously projecting guilt and shame to her as opposed to identifying it's my own. And when I did that, that hit me like a brick wall when I realized that. What I was holding on to came out in such a way that I had no idea. It's such a deep emotion that comes out without us even knowing it. You can't take that day back, but you can make it right by declaring what happened. And this is where the conversation this morning, this is really raw for me still for the last couple of weeks. I couldn't believe how deep that emotion was buried in that I didn't even know I was projecting it. So as we're going through our days and reacting to things in a different way, just remember, there could be something underlying that could be causing your behavior that way. It's not always somebody else's fault. It's not always somebody the way somebody else projects it or does something. It could be you who could be stemming from a trauma from past that's projecting something you don't even know about. That's a very powerful story and message, Licky. Thank you very much for sharing that. I can see that that I do that <laughs> and, it, and just kind of bringing that awareness to it, to, to be open to thinking there could be something in there from me that I'm projecting. Thanks, Barry. And what's interesting is this connection between emotions, feelings, and limiting beliefs, and then how that's all being projected, you know, how you're showing up and how it's impacting your relationship with others, right? Emotions is just the raw data. 
And that's what the emotions wheels is all about. Trying to identify the raw, you know, that raw data without judgment, what's going on here. The feelings that we have, and it sounds like it's semantics, but it's, it's not, but the feelings that we sometimes identify is because we've added a narrative to the emotion. And that narrative, if we don't catch it, can become our limiting beliefs. I feel this, or I, I, my emotion is this, I, my feeling is this because, and that becomes a thread if we're not careful and becomes a thread of our life. And then it becomes something that can hold us back. Is that like consistent for all of us, regardless of what our blind spot type is, or are some of us more prone to it than others? Like, I'm just curious. As far as the thread that I just mentioned? Yeah. Like just even in general, this kind of pattern, we all have that opportunity to really work on uh, becoming more aware. But like, I think about my own blind spot type as a controller and like wanting to be an expert and, you know, kind of being intimidating in that is kind of the potential blind spot that I have. And I just feel like coming from that perspective, I feel like I have to even be doubly aware because I think there's a lot of times that I'm just like, you know, I want to speak as if I I know it. I'm I'm good, but I'm not necessarily feeling that inside. I can't say this with scientific accuracy. I haven't studied that question per se, but from what I do understand, what I described is universal. It's not dependent upon a particular temperament. Universally, we all have emotion. Um, and those emotions uh, are, are the raw, as they sometimes call them, the raw emotions. Those emotions should be approached if, and I, I hate these words, should. The best thing we can do is approach those emotions without judgment as, and just accept them and go, okay, it is what it is. So why now is it? Because we, you know, often if we skip the why, then we will create the why. It's like, I am really angry and feeling disrespected. Well, disrespect's not a feeling, it's a story, right? And so it's a narrative. And as far as the, uh, the connection to temperament, I, you know, maybe there's a loose connection in, in how we might deal with our emotions and feelings. You know, some temperaments might be more prone to uh, ignore them, <laughs> like us competitors. Maybe peacemakers, and I'm just saying maybe here, like I said, I've not studied this aspect, but maybe peacemakers because they're, you know, more people oriented, more relationship oriented. Maybe they're going to take more, a little bit more reflective time to think about their feelings. But universally, it's we all deal with the same. We all have emotions. We all build stories around those emotions that comes out in what we consider feelings. And then those feelings, as Vera mentioned earlier, you know, it's, these emotions, feelings, narratives, all this can affect moods and moods come and go, right? We all have good moods, bad moods. But what's, what is interesting is that if a mood persists, that can actually become part of your temperament. So if you're, somebody's constantly in a bad mood or comes across as you know, being in a bad mood, then eventually, you know, over a long period of time, they can just become that way. It's just like they, they take on that as a temperament and it's not, it's no longer just a mood. So that's why it's so important uh, it, that we start with the emotion. We go, what, what's, what's going on? Why really what's happening here? 
then send you to, you know, to your exercise, your point there, right? Yeah. What's going on? Why is this going on? What can I do about it? You know, is it true? Is it not true? If it's not true, you know, how, how can I change this feeling? If it's a negative feeling, what can I do to avoid these feelings? What can I do if it's positive? What can I do to reinforce these feelings? I also think it's just worth mentioning that your life experiences, trauma, uh, mental illness can all contribute to it as well. So for some people, it might be harder to process those emotions pragmatically because there's other factors in play. And so you, you still can gain the freedom and understanding. It just takes a little hard work and maybe some help at times, but I think it's important to point that out because I know a lot mm-hmm. of people who struggle, like maybe they've had a trauma in their life. They, they struggle and they say, well, why do I struggle so much more than everybody else? It seems with these things, uh, sometimes it's just that there's more healing needed from the trauma before you can process your emotions in the, an appropriate way. And I'm going to add to that. Just give yourself grace. If you don't get it, just give yourself a lot of grace because it's, it's okay. It's exactly where you are, what you're dealing with. And, you know, a lot of you here show up every Thursday for that reason of learning. So just, it's a process. I'm still learning. Geez, I, we're not perfect. Nobody is. And this self-awareness and the findings that we're doing is just an ongoing journey. If you are in leadership at any level, from frontline manager to chief executive, Licky and I would like to invite you to join the conversations in our live virtual studio audience every Thursday or any Thursday that you are available from 8 a.m. to 9 a.m. Pacific time. For more information, please visit us at blindspots.vip forward slash audience. That's blindspots.vip forward slash audience. Now, back to the program. I also think uh, just to, I don't want to move us on, but just the flip side of that too is to recognize when somebody else might be struggling with that. So it's to be sensitive and aware of not just self-aware, but others aware. So you might be what you think are coming up against a personality conflict could just be that they don't know what's going on in them emotionally and that's why they're reacting the way they are or whatnot. So it's a good exercise because if you can learn it in yourself, it'll give you and have grace for yourself. You're going to have more grace and space for someone else realizing, Hey, maybe there's something going on here. It's not all about me. Yeah, exactly. But Mars, on, on that note, we can't be aware of others emotions until we're really aware of ours. Keep that in mind. Cause then, then we're judging. Yeah, that's the point. It's like we, we got to become aware of our own so that we can be more gracious to others, right? Yeah. But I agree with Kay there. We're all humans dealing with ourselves and other humans mm-hmm. in their world. So yeah. there's always going to be these interactions and we can't avoid them, but we were designed for connections. So I don't think we can run from them forever. Those connections is why I like showing up each week because um, you guys give me new perspective and or we can at least talk through things and I don't feel like I'm going crazy because I'm the only one feeling this way or dealing with something. So this is a very positive connection for me. That's awesome. And Cindy, I'll tell you, I'll share a secret. The rest of the world is feeling the same way. They just don't know it. So true. Yeah, there's a, uh, I was reading an article about um, connection, 
yesterday in uh, positive psychology, and it was talking about the uh, the need to create small talk and think about think of a place where you would go maybe today in your travels or tomorrow or this week or weekend and and uh, and the challenge was to you know go out of your way to create small talk and think ahead of time about how you're going to do that because most people you know shudder at talking to a complete stranger right and so like an example was think about when you're getting ready to go to the grocery store and stumbling into somebody or, you know, uh, bumping into somebody in an aisle and they're, they're grabbing something off the shelf and small talk could simply be, oh, you know, have you, uh, have you tried that before? Is it, is it good? Is it, is it worth, you know, I mean, you have, you have, can you recommend it or right? Whether you care or not about that product does, isn't the point. It's just small talk. And the whole point of that is that it's easier sometimes to find ourselves in isolation and we need that connection. So if we can just get out of our comfort zones and even just build those moments where we learn to connect with other, other humans, it's very, very emotionally and psychologically helpful. I don't like small talk. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm feeling a challenge coming on. Like, I, I don't, I don't feel like, uh, uh afraid to talk to people. I don't, uh, I don't have a problem talking to people. My thing is I want to, if I'm investing the time to be with somebody, I want to go deep. I don't want to just have small talk. So I, I struggle with small talk. And also a few years ago, a friend of mine and I figured out something and, um, he, he was social, but he wasn't relational. So he was the small talk king and we'd go into a room and he would know everybody's name when they walking out, get back in the car and he'd say, yeah, I met so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so. And then I would say, well, I only met Joe, but I know his whole life story. And so we realized that I was relational, but here's the problem because he was social, people had relational expectations of him. And so he had people keep, he couldn't keep staff. He couldn't keep people that working with him because they would come because he was so social and outgoing and fun to be around and they'd want to come work with him. And then they'd find out he wasn't approachable. He wasn't like, you couldn't connect. And then I was relational and people have a social expectation of me and I'm not social. I feel awkward in crowds. And so people would look, well, how could you be awkward? You're the relationship guy or whatever. But it's, I, I just get super not good with, uh, I think crowds because I don't want to just do small talk. I want to actually meet somebody and connect. So just an interesting little thing there with the expectations. That's a great story, Mark. That's a dynamic description of the motivator peacemaker. Because uh, typically now, so this is not a general, you know, universal principle that all motivators, all peacemakers are like this. But as a general rule of thumb, an unaware motivator loves lots of connections. I mean, they want to know everybody they can know. I have the huge, largest contact database. You know, they feel great when they can connect A to B and B to C and introduce people to one another. But, you know, left unaware, that's more important to them necessarily than going deep. Whereas a peacemaker would have way less contacts, way less people in their sphere of influence, but the ones that they have, those are rich relationships. They're really deep, right? And again, that's the general rule of thumb. And, and I say that because I, I know, you know, Licky being a connector, I can attest that he's got a lot of connections and a lot of really deep relationships. So it's not always the case. 
Yeah, because I'm a connector too, which is interesting. But I think I lean on the peacemaker side of that connector. Mm-hmm. But but I still have that motivator as well sometimes in terms of you know serving others or inspiring others. But yeah, no, that's a really interesting observation for sure. Yeah, that's no, a good story. But what else is coming up for all of you? And isn't it frustrating that the ones that are growth mindset can't stand a fixed mindset? Just shake their heads, get it. I think what was fascinating for me is that you can have a growth mindset sometimes and a fixed mindset sometimes. Like you're not just one or the other. Uh, Like if you're triggered and under stress, your ability to have a growth mindset is significantly curtailed right because you're like pillar but when you're relaxed it's much easier to to have a growth mindset to be open and curious and experiment and then i think it's also interesting barry that sometimes we judge what <clears throat> where i'm going to learn from and instead of kids so if there's conflict they all the old saying iron sharpens iron so in conflict we think we have a fixed mindset, but if we would have a growth mindset during conflict, we could actually learn from the other person, even when they're not behaving as we would like them to. There's still a growth opportunity in those moments. And so it's much harder to have a growth mindset when it's in conflict. But what if we could learn from that person? What if that conflict allowed us to see something of ourselves that we wouldn't have seen otherwise and something of them that we wouldn't have seen otherwise? So yeah, that's an interesting. That, that sounds like a chapter from your bookmark. Well, maybe it should be in the next one. <laughs> By the way, it might be worth mentioning. I come every week to actually learn from you all, not just from Kevin and Licky. Wouldn't want to limit your growth there, Mark. Yeah, we don't. I have enough awareness to know that I can't just grow up from YouTube. <laughs> now, if I had imposter syndrome and a limiting belief, I'd take it from Bristol in that work. Yeah. I like about the, the group and uh, doing this is yeah, really a collective brain trust, right? Everybody hear from everybody. And it's like, you don't have to, like, maybe there's a limiting belief there somehow that there's experts in the room, so I should just listen. But I think. Here's my experience because I've been there. Like I've sometimes I'm scared to speak up, you know, I've had to fight through that in my life, but you know, the old saying, like, keep my mouth shut and let them think I'm not smart rather than opening it and proving them right. Um, I used to have that limiting mindset. Uh, but what I'm saying is sometimes we come into a room and there's like other people that we, we perceive as smarter than us or a more expert in a particular area. But sometimes when I would speak up and I would say something, I was actually hearing myself and I was teaching myself because I did speak up. I actually made a difference just from simply speaking up in my, even through my nervousness. So that's, that's an encouragement for everybody that maybe doesn't always speak up here. You may not think you have anything to contribute, but you might be the greatest beneficiary of that contribute contribution if you step into it. Then you too can be like Seven, Licky, and Mark, and just keep on speaking forever and ever once you breathe in the silence. Gag me. <laughs> and honestly, because we were all there. Like Mark has a great story because I was the shyest person, never spoke in class ever anywhere. 
And now apparently I can't shut up. So yeah, well, when I was growing up, I had a fear of failure because I was told I was wrong all the time and whatever. And so I had to, in my healing journey, um, it was not easy for me to speak up, especially because, you know, with my addiction story and all of that, I didn't finish school. And so I don't have the education most people have and all that kind of stuff. It was really hard for me to sit in a group of leaders and, uh, and actually speak up. I had to, I had to almost force myself. I had a, a couple of good mentors in my life that pulled that out of me. You know, they would ask me, I hated it. When I, you know, you know, when they would look around the room, I was like ducking, trying to hide behind the person in front of me. So they, so they wouldn't see me because <laughs> if they saw me, they'd probably ask me for my opinion. And it's like, get a hide duck. But I realized that that was a limiting belief, A, and B, I was suffering from it. I was hurting myself by not speaking up. Because every time, even now, I teach my workshops. I started two new ones this week. Every time, every single time I get up there, I've taught this thing hundreds of times, I learn something new. Just something comes out of my mouth or something comes out of one of the students' mouths. As I tell them at the beginning, we're all students, we're all teachers here. Let's learn from each other. And I learn something every single time, something new comes out. So jump in, people, jump in. We do the same thing. So Lickie and I learn from you guys, you all every week. And in fact, we had a coaching client uh, this past week uh, we were meeting with and we learned, we both had an aha moment when that person spoke up and and uh, and said, you know, I just dawned on me that, that I have spent my career working for competitors most of the time and therefore I have learned to adapt. And so I suddenly realized just now that I treat everybody like competitors. When I'm real, when I thought I was adapted, uh, yet I'm really not. I just thought I, you know, I just learned how to how to work really well with competitors. So now her stretch is, oh, I got to learn how to work with peacemakers and analyzers and all the other styles. So yeah, we're like, oh, you know, that's an interesting point is we can actually think we're being adaptable and flexible and observing other people, but because of our training, our surroundings, our upbringing, you know, whatever it is we can, you know, we can have a blind spot and not then think that we're doing just right until we realize, oh, <laughs> I got more room for growth. What do you know? Limiting beliefs and emotions. Funny, I was just going to bring it all back full circle myself. Like, good job. <laughs> I was just talking. I wasn't bringing it back. You can, you can wrap it up. You can bow tie it. Well, no, that's what it was. It's like, it's all, you know, all of this conversations really starts back at the very beginning of the conversation, which is. What are the emotions? How well are you able to identify your emotions? Which most people have a struggle identifying their most emotions. Um, Licky and I continually use the wheel, right? It's like we all need to learn. That's a very absolute statement, of course, but you know, most of us need to learn how to use that emotions wheel or learn how to identify our emotions better. Because the better we can identify them, the more we can learn from them. If we just say, well, I'm, I'm happy or I'm angry, that's fine. I mean, there's some, some information there, but if you can identify really more precisely why you're in that angry category, then you can be like, oh, now I know what I can do about it. Right. So starting with the emotions, uh, identifying your own emotions and then learning that having, who said it earlier, having more empathy with others, because now you can start to pick up on their emotions and Put all the other stuff aside, you know, that's going on in the conversation and then be tuned in and recognize there's something here I need to work with, or I need to address, or I need to adapt to, or 
you know, beyond the words, you know, beyond what's really, you know, even the mission at hand, I've got, you know, I can't just sweep this other person's emotions under the table. Yeah. I'm going to be thinking a lot about um, Licky's story and the, how much I have a sense that I project my emotions and what I think I'm picking up from other people is probably more about what I'm putting out than what they're actually feeling. And that's, that's something to start thinking about more questioning myself and being curious. Is this really happening or is this coming from me? Barry, I, I agree. You know, uh, one thing that I realized we're really good manipulators of a conversation when our hidden emotions are controlling it. We're wanting that outcome, not realizing we're forcing that outcome on the other person. And we're not even realizing it. That is a mic drop moment right there. Write that down. <laughs> it's recording. Write that down. <laughs> that was so good, Licky. That so true. You know, and some people like, you know, I'm thinking of my relationship coaching with couples and stuff and, and how often that's exactly what's going on. And they're, and they'll, I'm not manipulative and they're not, but they're manipulating themselves too. They're maybe not intentionally, but that, that's a profound statement right there that the unidentified emotions can manipulate our conversations with people. As we're working today and going into the offices and your neighbors in the next cubicle or the next door or the next client you talk to, just think about the emotions that they're going through and what they're dealing with because they're dealing with exactly what you're dealing with as well. Thank you for listening to the Awareness Advantage podcast brought to you weekly by the leadership team at Blind Spots Global a multinational, multicultural leadership development organization specializing in transforming managers who are good at getting stuff done into great leaders who can influence and inspire others to achieve their best. If you have not yet subscribed, please do so now so you will never miss an episode. If you would like to join our live virtual studio audience and participate in the conversations, visit us at blindspots.vip forward slash audience. That's blindspots.vip forward slash audience. We hope to see you there.